0: I think it's important that people experiment with cutting it out for four or five days. Trusting they can have it again, just to go through what you went through to see what that's like. Yeah, and it can only be an experiment because if if it's like a restriction, then it's never gonna happen.
1: Welcome to the Mind Your Body Show, where you'll learn how to get your mind right so that your body will follow. I'm Trudy Stone, certified culinary nutritionist, TV guest expert, and author. After self-hacking my mind and body to lose 30 pounds, I now help busy, overwhelmed women use stress as their superpower so that they can rise above it and become more calm, resilient, and physically fit. Welcome to the Mind Your Body Show. This is culinary nutritionist Trudy Stone, and I am so grateful that you tuned in today. But first, I have a question for you What are you really hungry for? Well, that's the question we're going to be answering today with today's guest. Let me tell you about Kim. Kim Shapira is a celebrity dietitian, nutritional therapist, and author. Kim also holds a Bachelor of Science in Kinesiology and a Master's Degree in Human Metabolism and Clinical Nutrition. Kim has spent over 25 years helping people lose weight and keep it off, both in her private Los Angeles practice in hospitals, sports clinics, addiction centers, and universities. In her new amazing book, This Is What You're Really Hungry For, Six Simple Rules to Transform Your Relationship with Food to Become Your Healthiest Self, Kim shares her method to help you get well and stay well by leading your own body shedding guilt, finding peace, and making it normal to eat the foods you love. Welcome to the Mind Your Body Show.
0: Kim, how are you? I am so good. How are you doing? Thanks for I, having me. I'm doing amazing, and I am so glad to have you here. Yeah, let's get into it. I wanted to know, like, when you even first saw the name, the title of the book, what, what did you think the answer is?
1: I thought, ooh. She is on to something. This Kim knows what she is talking about because that is the question, right? It's really getting to the root. And I know we're going to get into this. I'm probably getting ahead of myself, but I feel like a lot of people use food as a band-aid approach. I often say it's like a crutch, right? Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to talk about that here today. We're going to unpack it all, Kim. And I really want to acknowledge you, speaking of your book, on such a phenomenal book. I really see it not even just as a book. It's really like a healthy eating manifesto that really is like a must read, whether you're trying to lose weight or if you just want to eat healthier. So kudos to you for a fantastic piece of work.
0: Thank you. I might borrow that from you because I absolutely love that and think that that is fact.
1: (laughs) I think so too. So Kim, I know I read your amazing bio, but I always like to hear people talk about themselves in their own words. So if this is someone's first introduction to you, can you give us a little bit of a background about who you serve and what it is that you do?
0: Yes, so I have a private practice. I'm a registered dietitian and, you know, a registered my degree is in human metabolism and clinical nutrition. So that tells you right off the bat that I can help you with any disease state, preventing disease, if you're taking any medications, what foods interact, all the things in order for you to feel well. And basically that's where my education started, but really when I got into my practice, I started recognizing I didn't know anything about the people living inside of the bodies that they were you know using in this lifetime. And so I started failing pretty much right off the bat. Um when I got when I went to graduate school, it was because I was interested in why people feared fat. It was the Snackwell era and everybody was cutting fat from their diet. And by the time I got to grad school, everybody was just trying to do high protein. And I remember Dr. Dr. Um, Atkins died of a heart attack. And it was like really hush hush on the news and thinking like, oh, my God, people are following his diet and they have no idea that this man died of a heart attack. And so I was very interested in the psychology of it. And it kind of, it makes sense when you understand like who I am. I was sick when I was younger, when I was 12. And um, I spent a long time just trying to be well. And somebody, when I was in high school, told me that food could either make you sick or healthy. And I grabbed onto that and I said, okay, well, I'm choosing healthy and I want to know all the things that I can eat that are going to keep my body so healthy. So when I went to grad school with this intention of helping everyone else get healthy, I didn't actually realize that they were going to get in their own way. And so, um, I mentioned in my book, but pretty soon into my practice, I, um, was helping a client. She had lost 30 pounds. And she said to me, you know what, I'm going to gain the weight back now. And I said, why, what do you, why would you do that? That's like deeply triggering to me. I just helped you like, re, like reduce your cholesterol and your blood pressure and, you, you know, increase the quality of your life. What's going on? And she said, you know, my husband wants to have sex with me all the time. And I was molested as a child. And I thought, oh man, I don't know what I'm doing. This is not about kale. Mm-hmm. And You know, I started recognizing, oh, my gosh, my clients are eating the same way that I'm shopping. This is interesting. I thought I just really liked shopping and liked having new things. And then I started recognizing every emotion for me told me that shopping was a good idea, even on the days that I couldn't afford it. Mm. And so as I started understanding myself, I started understanding my clients and the way that they were eating. And that's how the six simple rules came to be really and i do have to say you know when i was 12 and i was on my way to ucla one day i must have been crying in the car and again you know i'm 50 now but i was when i was 12 and you think about my 12 year old self she was quiet and shy and quite innocent right and on the way to the very scary doctor appointment and my mom says to me and my my mom and i are very close we you know it's a very lovely relationship she did the best that she could with in all the ways. But what she said to me was, don't cry, we'll go shopping after your doctor appointment. Hmm. And it became this really like moral code or compass. I don't know how I integrated it, but it became like, this is where I'm gonna put my mind when I feel this way. I'm going to now use shopping as a reward for every time my body feels stress, fear, bored, procrastination, all the things. And so once I started recognizing that, I was really able to tap into helping my clients. Mm,
1: I love that, Kim. First of all, you lost me when you said you're 50, because I'm looking at you and I'm like, you look like you're in your early 30s. How is this possible? Thank you. (laughs) Awesome. No, I love that you talked about that with shopping because in your book, and I wanted to ask you about this later in the podcast, but let's just go ahead and, and talk about this now because- You know, you have you gave this really great analogy in your book where you talked about your child. Like, what if your child walked in the room and said, I'm so stressed? Like, would you say, oh, let's go eat. Right. Um, No, you probably wouldn't say that. You'd probably tell them, yes, it's okay to be stressed. It's going to pass. Try taking a deep breath or let's try going for a walk. So you know, would you tell a child to eat instead of crying when their hamster dies? You would tell the child that feel, that feeling would pass, and you would help yeah. them cope in another way. But oftentimes we don't give that same grace and good advice to ourselves. And this is probably like one of the best analogies for emotional eating I have ever heard.
0: Yeah. yeah. So good. Yeah. I, I a lot of people actually right there they just stop in their tracks and they have like this aha moment where they kind of recognize wow and that's why i talk about it being in a relationship with yourself mm-hmm. you know like we our mind is such a liar and yep. in and it's we don't take credit for our heart beating or telling our lungs to breathe and we don't take credit for our mind thinking we shouldn't take credit for our mm-hmm. mind thinking It's producing 60,000 thoughts a day to help us survive this moment in the most pleasurable way. Mm -hmm. And we have to recognize we don't always need it to be a pleasurable moment. Mm -hmm. It's okay. These moments are gonna pass.
1: Right, right. It's so true. And I've also heard it said that you know, your mind really does influence the cells in your body as well. So for me personally, I am so big on language, the language that I use, even if I'm joking around with my friends, I'm very cognizant of the language that I use because words are so, so, so powerful. There's so many studies. Joe Dispenza, just Google him and you'll- I love him. Yeah. (laughs) You'll go down like a rabbit hole with that kind of stuff. But so Kim, you know what? I realized that you had Kaylee Cuoco, who was like an actress, write the forward of your book. And I was like, How did that happen?
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Tell us about that. Um, Well, Kaylee, Kaylee has been my client since she was 15.
1: Wow. Okay. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, how many years is that? That's a lot of years. So I think close to 19, I think, no, 20, we're almost, we're almost 20 plus years.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, that was why she was, really important to me to have her write it because we've had so much growth. And um I've grown, she's grown, and she's been, you know, I've always said the same things to her. And, you know, it it obviously works. And she thankfully wrote the forward and, you know, you can hear it from her own words. But yeah. 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 I mean I'm yeah. It
1: was a great um, forward. It was very beautifully written for sure. And she's a huge fan of your work. I can see and how much you helped her as well. So that's amazing. Yeah. So Kim, I felt like you were reading my mind in your book when you said losing weight and keeping it off isn't only about food. It's about your relationship with food and changing your relationship with food is all about identifying triggers, modifying your behavior and better understanding why you eat. And I love that you said this because when I counsel my clients and when I educate my community, I talk about triggers. I talk about some of the most common triggers that are you know, triggering your bad habits like time and your environments and you know all these different things. So like what are some triggers that you see that people have that cause them to eat unhealthy foods?
0: Yeah. So we have to remember that in our human experience we all develop between 3 and 5 emotional triggers in the first 6 years of our life. So even in a very loving home we're going to develop something that we're going to have to work on for the rest of our life until we master it. And when we go through something traumatizing, we're also going to develop new triggers, which is why when I got sick, when I was 12, I developed this fierce trigger of being healthy, right? And so some of the triggers could be perfectionism. And it's interesting because you you they show up wearing different pants, so to speak, in your life, in your day-to-day, and it could be um, the way somebody is on the phone with you. It could be the way, you know, somebody drove really fast in front of you. It could be that you weren't invited to a holiday party the night before. Um, We, we can't predict the storm, right? And we can only work on the way we respond to the storm. And so what happens is we did, we, like what you're saying, our thoughts and our cells and how we can interpret it, it happens in under 10 seconds. And immediately when we detect stress, and it could be, again, what I'm saying, a phone call, it could be somebody put a cake in front of you and you just decided you weren't eating cake, right? The triggers just wear different pants. And what happens is under 10 seconds, there are 1,400 Different sensations that occur on a cellular level that tip off the hippocampus, which is your emotional center, your pituitary gland, and your adrenal glands, which then affect your cortisol levels, your hormones, and your insulin, right? All of this happens in under 10 seconds. And we go from a rational way of thinking, which is rationally, we all know food is fuel. But in under 10 seconds, we then become irrational. We're in a temper tantrum. And now we think food is fun, food is comfort, food is entertainment, food is joy, food is the enemy. And it's when we recognize that we think food is anything besides fuel, it means we're not okay. Mm. And we need to take some deep breaths We need to relax our body. We need to find our mind. And one of my favorite tools for finding your mind is by simply asking, where is my body? And then saying to yourself, it's right here. And then say, where is my mind? And then to go find your mind. If your mind is not here inside your body, you have to repeat the whole thing. And what happens is we are actually able to find our mind. We're able to track it. Like every single person right now listening could actually track how badly they have to pee. (laughs) They can also track how hungry they are. They can track where their mind is. It takes a split second. And if you can't find your mind, it's not here. Mm. And so you should not make any decisions on food until you know where your mind is.
1: Oh, that's so, so, so good. Yeah. And also thinking back to your book, you had an analogy with a client of yours who uh, was eating chocolate, I think a lot, and her husband had passed away or something. And yes. she, yeah, you encouraged her to like wait till she got home to have the chocolate versus eating in the park. Maybe I don't know if I'm getting this. Yeah, right. that- yeah,
0: yeah. She was she needed to break the habit. She was trying to, I think, Prevent going home. She was trying to avoid difficult situations and find joy. And so her mind was like, just stop at the store and get some chocolate here. Um, and you know, we grief is we can't predict how long we're gonna stay in a, a certain mood or feeling or state. And it's going to, everybody's gonna ha- go through their own process and their own time. Um, but she also wanted to lose weight. So It is possible to be grieving and to lose weight Mm -hmm. and it is possible to be grieving and also to maintain your weight. Mm -hmm. And so all I have to do is be able to accept the feelings that I'm having in my body and also recognize I can be hungry too. And they're not the same. And I have to honor both of them separately.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So, Kim, I know that you have six main rules for eating that I love. But before we get into that, I have just a few questions that I think will really help listeners and people that have failed at dieting before, because there's a lot of people who have failed at dieting before and they're afraid to try again. And I think this is such an important topic because I actually know this from personal experience and I know how defeating it can be to fail at dieting again and again and again. So with my story, long story short, I lost 30 pounds about eight years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, and prior to that, like I kept losing it and gaining it back and losing it and gaining it back. Um, there was things that I did, you know, to kind of cement at this time, of course, healthy habits was definitely one of them. You talk about this in your book too, but knowing my why and having a really clear and strong why. Um, but you say in your book, identifying why we're eating is the key to losing weight and keeping it off and using food purposely matters. So can you tell me more about that like how do you know what matters?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. It's kind of like if you know that you're in Los Angeles and you have to get to New Jersey and you know that you're going to have two stopovers and there's that's going to be just a long way to get there. And there could be a storm, the the delays could be extensive. Do you not go? I think most people still make the trek to New Jersey, right? So they already know their why, their destination. They've set up their mind to make it happen. And when people are trying to lose weight, they get knocked off course. They don't actually see the the purpose, the the They the, they don't find joy in this journey. They're only looking at the destination. I didn't get there. I didn't make it that time, right? And the reality is we have to kind of find, come back to the place of, I know this might have some bumps, but even if I have the bumps, I'm going to stay on the journey, right? And no matter what, they have to know where they're going and then they have to make up their mind that they're going to stay on that journey, no matter what. So what happens, like my, my whole thing for eating is I want to feel well. And which means that I'm going to look at the ingredients in the food. I'm going to look at the food and I'm going to ask myself, how will I feel when I'm done eating this? Mm -hmm. And everybody should be taking that kind of approach, in my opinion. If I have birthday cake today, how will this affect me? And my answer is it won't because I'm not going to have it tomorrow because I'm here now enjoying my birthday. And I don't need to have it every single day. I'm trusting that I can have it whenever I want. Mm -hmm. But I'm also going to try and find the birthday cake that agrees with my body. And I'm not going to feel bad doing it.
1: Yeah, Yeah. no, I I love that. That's so amazing. Um, So Kim, I feel like our values are so aligned in reading your book. And in terms of deprivation diet specifically, okay? And we talked about that at the beginning, Um, which, spoiler alert, deprivation diets don't work. So it was such a refreshing read to see this in your book. And I love when you said we equate diet with restriction, punishment, and green smoothies topped with flaxseed. All of our favorite foods snatched from our hands, leaving us hungry and unsatisfied. Paleo, Atkins, keto, skinny beet. You guys can fill in the blank there. They all (laughs) tell you what you cannot eat. Or worse, they tell you exactly what to eat. So Kim, I was ready to give you a standing ovation at that point. (laughs) And that was like at the beginning of the book. So how can people make weight loss sustainable? Let's talk about that.
0: Yeah. Again, they have to know their why. Mm -hmm. Why are they doing it? And it can't be for a wedding because then we have to focus on what happens the day after the wedding. Right. So it has to be like, we have to change our mind from losing weight to weight maintenance. I want to maintain my weight loss. That's the mindset we have to have immediately. And our bodies don't know if we're having an egg or we're having steak. It knows that we're chewing something. It knows that it has certain nutrients in it, but it's our mind that is making up all of these stories. And we have to get back into our body and feel what our body needs. So the truth is we can eat anything we want. But the caveat is that we have to only eat foods that make our body feel well. When we take away foods that we love, this is that deprivation idea. And this sets us up for a binge because most people use willpower in a diet and we run out of willpower. But inner power is infinite. We have so much in, like if we can start just gaining this inner power, which is ignoring the noise and coming back into my body with confidence then we're winning all over the place, right? So somebody who has inner power knows that they have everything they need inside of them in difficult times and knows that food is fuel.
1: Mm, I like that. I like that. You know, and there was someone who said to me before, like with every bite that you take, you're either fueling health or you're fueling disease. And when somebody had said that to me, like similar to, you know, I think what yeah. I mentioned and said to you, that's when it really clicked for me. And I was like, oh my God, like. That was such an eye-opening statement for me. And I find for me personally, I'm in my 40s now, I find that when I eat certain things now, I feel it the next day or even like two days afterwards. Like I can't eat certain foods before like I used to and just kind of like be okay the next day. Sometimes it takes me a little while to get on track. Like if I have too much caffeine or if I have too much sugar, or wine, which yeah. I don't drink anymore. Like, yeah, just all of those things. So I always ask people like, how do you want to feel? Like eat how you want to feel. If you yeah, want to feel I mean, more yes. energy, you need to eat the foods that are going to give you life. Right, so yeah, yeah I think and there's also... amazing
0: tests right now that can yeah. show you like your body is sensitive to these foods, and you then have a choice: I can not eat these foods for a short while, or I can still eat them, but I realize I have to do some work on my gut to improve the way that I am responding to these foods. Right, mm-hmm. so there's so many good things like a probiotic, omega threes, flaxseed, chia seeds, omegas. Um, a variety of fruits and vegetables that don't make you sick, adding these foods can, you know, heal the lining of your gut. So you're not as inflamed and also working on your sleep, which is all, you know, part of this manifesto, as you like to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we all have to be aware that not everyone can tolerate everything.
1: Mm-hmm. So true. So true. Yeah. Okay, Kim. So that's a perfect segue. I want to talk about your six main rules for eating and how we can redefine dieting as something that we create, like you say. So how can we create this personal lifestyle with your six main rules for dieting? And I, by the way, I think number two, eat what you love is my favorite.
0: (laughs) Wait, before we get in, why tell me?
1: Well, because I feel like when we deprive ourselves of our favorite foods, we just crave more of it. Yeah. Like when we're told that we can't have something, we crave more of it. And I yeah. often say to people, like, think back to like when you were like 16 years old and there was this boy that you wanted to date and your mom told you that you couldn't date him. You just wanted right. to date him even more. And you probably exactly. snuck out of the house to date him anyways. And yeah. the same is true when we deprive ourselves of our favorite foods. So I am a big like believer of eating the foods that you really do love. And yeah. also, my brand food swap foodie is all about that. It's that it's also finding healthier ways to enjoy some of your favorite foods just by making yeah. like one or two ingredient swaps and eating it healthier. It's not yeah. that you can't ever have the cookies anymore, but yeah, have the cookies, but also find healthy swaps to enjoy those cookies in a healthier way. That's going to make you feel good about yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah. I yes, yes. I agree. I um, I usually refrain from the word healthy, and and I'm gonna I, I'm so glad you brought it up because I think. This is also a triggering word for people. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, I can And be. so,
0: okay, so let's go over rule one and then I'll explain yeah, why yeah. I feel that way in rule two. Okay. Please, so please. Rule one is to eat when you're hungry. And so to be honest, people don't talk about hunger enough. We need to talk about hunger. If you didn't, if you suddenly stopped having to pee, you would run to the doctor. People are not hungry. And they're also afraid of being hungry. And do you know that most people, every person makes decisions either a place of fear or trust. And so we have to come to a place of trust. I trust that my body knows how to take care of everything that I'm giving it and that it's going to be hungry when it needs to be hungry and satisfied with this amount of food, right? We have to come back to a place of trust. Mm -hmm. So the rule is eat when you're hungry. And in order to, to make this rule work, you have to take your normal portion, not the chef's normal portion, because the chef is preparing somebody who's six, four and five feet, the same portion. Mm -hmm. And we don't know if they just, you know, ran a marathon or, you know, what, what weight you are. We have to kind of listen to our own body, what our normal portion is. Eat when you're hungry, take your normal portion, cut it in half. And then in there is so many little rules. Like, Eat slowly, take your time eating because we really want that first half to last 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. Because that's when we know leptin, kind of the hormone that tells us we're satisfied, kind of connects with your brain. So we need 15 minutes to happen once we started eating. And there's a fail safe when you start with half and wait 15 minutes, we won't overeat. Most people don't eat when they're not hungry. Mm -hmm. And so we just need to give our bodies time to tell us we're satisfied trusting that we're going to eat again as soon as we're hungry and we want to be hungry we like also the same in the same vein of like saying you remember the boyfriend that you weren't allowed to date now all you want to do is date him if i said to you okay you get to you get to pee one time today you get to pick when you get to pee but only one time we would all go into a, such a state of anxiety <laughs> like what <Really>? imagine <laughs> saying like you don't get to eat We're talking about basic survival. Mm -hmm. We need to survive. We need food, right? Mm -hmm. So we also need to trust that food is on every corner. It's all over our kitchens, which most of us work from home now, or we can get it everywhere. So food is readily available for most people. And we need to kind of trust that we can go get it if we need it, right? So eat when you're hungry, take your normal portion, cut it in half, wait 15 minutes to see if you need more. So for me, it was very much like, I really want to buy this. And then recognizing if I put it on hold and I walked away, I never went back for it. Mm. Right? Yeah.
1: I I like that, Kim, because I think when we decide that we want to lose weight, and we want to go on a diet, we try to do all the things at once. And then we try to do all the things at once, we get overwhelmed and then we quit. Then we feel like a failure and then we don't want to try again, right? So I love that. That is such a great starting point at just taking what you're eating right now and just cutting it in half, just starting there. That's a great starting point. I love that.
0: Yeah, Yeah. it's fail safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Okay, so rule number two, eat what you love and make sure the food loves you back. So this is actually to heal you from labeling food as good, bad, healthy, unhealthy, or I should or shouldn't eat it. I like, like, just imagine if we called all food bananas, okay? And I handed you a banana. What would happen if I handed you a banana right now? What would you do? I'd eat it. I'd peel that thing open and I'd eat it right away. Most people would say, am I hungry for this now? hmm Or can I save it? Thank you for the banana. Yeah. You know, they're not usually jumping right in to eat a banana. Most people question why there's a banana here. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the hope is that if we start labeling food as a banana and we labeled pumpkin pie as a banana, or we just saw everything is just food without labels, then we would always come back to what do I need this for? And how, like, do I need, am I hungry for this now? And we would kind of trust that the banana would be there waiting for us, right?
1: Right, right.
0: And then if we didn't label the food, there wouldn't be any shame or persecution. We'd be able to concentrate on what my physical body is feeling. Okay, I don't do well when I eat this anymore. Let me let me see what's going on with my gut, right? We have to come back to the relationship we have with our body and what our body is telling us,
1: Right. right.
0: not our mind.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. So there are things that are healthy. I just don't like to call food healthy because, you know, the the truth is blueberries give me diarrhea mm-hmm. and blueberries are full of antioxidants and they're on the superfood list. Yeah. But they're not healthy for my body. Mm, okay. Right. So we have to be very aware of what our body needs versus what someone else is doing.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. So can I start calling a donut
0: healthy? <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't call it healthy, but if I, I call would healthy, call just, it a, but I would call it a banana. You would call a banana. <laughs> so if you were handed a banana, mm-hmm. most likely you don't start eating it, but rather you right. would think, am I hungry for this banana now?
1: Right, right.
0: And there's the fail safe that even if you've got that banana now, you're only eating half.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're putting the other
0: half on hold and yeah. most likely we'll forget about that banana. Right, right. And when people are hungry, they don't usually want a donut. But when people are being seduced by sugar, that's when they want a donut. Yeah.
1: Tell that's me. That's
0: not hunger. That's a craving.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's sugar. rule number three
1: <laughs> sugar's a drug. Sugar is a drug I'm telling you.
0: <laughs> I mean nobody wakes up and says today I want to become addicted to heroin.
1: Yeah, exactly. But that's
0: exactly what happens when you eat sugar.
1: Mhm. Mm-hmm.
0: And it's not that it can't be part of your normal diet. You just have to be aware that if you're having it, it's going to cause cravings. Right. And your mind is going to be telling you you want it because you're having physical withdrawals and that's discomfort mm-hmm. and your mind is trying to seek pleasure. Mm-hmm. And you can Experiment with not having it. And guess what? That craving goes away. Right. Or you can have it when you're hungry. Save it for the next time you're hungry. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. When I was losing weight, my problem, my weakness were cookies. Like I couldn't, like I just love cookies. They were just always in the house. And I found that when I started cutting back on the cookies, my taste buds actually started to change. And then when I went back and started eating the cookies again, I was like, oh my God, like they just tasted so much sweeter to me. Yeah, did before. And I was like, Oh, I don't even know that I really enjoy this so much anymore. So I think we also have to allow our taste buds to change as well and know that they will change.
0: They change every like our taste buds change every seven years, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But what's happening with sugar is that it's so offensive to our brain, right? That if we were to slow down and really take a bite of something sweet, we would recognize we're not actually liking it. But because we're attaching pleasure to it it's being stored as pleasure.
1: Mm.
0: It's also being stored in the same place that drugs are stored. And so that's why it's so addictive.
1: Right, right. But it's
0: completely offensive to us. Right. We just don't take the time to notice it.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But you're right. And so once you cut it out, and then you recognized it, you're like, whoa. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. Good for you. (laughs) <laughs> and I think, I think it's important that people experiment with cutting it out for four or five days, yeah. trusting they can have it again, just to go through what you went through to see what that's like. Yeah,
1: for sure. Yeah. It's an interesting, yeah, it's an interesting experiment.
0: Yeah. And it can only be an experiment because yeah. if it has, to, if it's like a restriction, then it's never going to happen. But right. if you're just getting curious. Yes. Yeah. That's good. That's yeah, just good. Try it out and see what happens. See what happens. Let <laughs> us know. <laughs> yeah rule number three is to eat without distractions. Okay. And so we eat because of emotional reasons. We eat because of cravings and we eat because the food is in front of us, but I want you to only eat because you're physically hungry in your stomach and hunger is not scary and it's not painful. It does get louder. If we ignore it kind of like having to pee I can know that I have to pee. And then there's times that I'm like, if I don't pee, I'm going to die. And that's all I can think about. Right. But the second we pee, we're fine. Yeah. So hunger gets stronger, but it's not scary. And we have to recognize that because again, it's basic survival. So we may interpret it as I'm I'm going to die if I don't eat.
1: Right. Right.
0: Yeah. Okay. But it's, we have food. Yeah. Like, the, <laughs> best is, the best is when, um, you know people go to kids birthday parties and they're like what am i going to do there's pizza and cake yeah. I'm like how long are you going to be there mm-hmm. 2 hours 2 hours yeah <laughs> right you could eat before you could eat after you exactly. could eat the cake and the pizza yeah. but it's only 2 hours we become so focused on it
1: yeah yeah and we start yeah. thinking about it before we get to the party yeah and it's just yeah it becomes the whole thing it becomes a whole thing
0: Yeah. And it's funny, people are so worried about what they're having next Thursday for dinner when they're like in this moment now, they don't even need to be worrying about Thursday. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Rule number four is 10,000 steps every day. And really the, you know, the average American gets about 3000 and we really need about 7,000, but in order to maintain our weight, it's 10,000. And this also helps with our digestion, our circadian rhythms, our sleep habits, and our hormone balance. And it puts you in a much better mood when you do it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very important. Good for our joints too. Because- We gotta yeah. move. Yeah. Cause I found during the pandemic, like the first few months, I would say maybe about, I don't know, six months into the pandemic when I was just sitting at my desk all the time and not really being out, going out for meetings and speaking and that sort of thing. Like my hips started to hurt, my, my lower back started to hurt. And I was like, oh my goodness, like what's going on here? And it's because I was sitting like yeah. all the time. So it's just so important for our longevity as well. And for our joint health.
0: Yeah. And you make a really good point. People who are in pain you you know they think that maybe moving is going to hurt them more, but it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. Right. We you have to lubricate all of those joints by moving. So I would, you know, check with your doctor. But yes, make movement a part of your life every day. Yeah, yeah for sure.
1: And something yeah. you enjoy too. Something you look forward
0: to. Only things you enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. Have fun doing yeah. it. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um. And and also keep in mind if you're stressed. Then we don't want to do stressful activities. So then you would look to do like a light walk or yoga or Pilates. Mm-hmm. If you are feeling like you can run, running's great, right? Like or doing a hit exercise. But you really want to use whatever's going on in your body as a way to measure what kind of activity you should be doing. Mm, like because that. if you're doing a stressful activity and your body's stressed, this is actually going to put you more into um, like a fight or flight and your body will hold on to weight in this time. So mm. really pay attention to how your body's feeling when you're moving.
1: Oh that's so good. That's such a good tip. I like doing pilates if I feel stressed out or yoga if I'm feeling a little bit stressed out. Not cardio. Cardio just makes me feel a little bit more sometimes a little bit yeah. more angry.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean you sound so intuitive. Yeah. Yeah. Good. <laughs> good for you. Yeah. Um and then rule number 5 is to drink 8 cups of water and I like to call this the secret sauce which is you know, it helps our body detox. And like detox is such a buzzword. when our bodies already naturally do it, we just need to support it and give it the things that it needs to help do it, which is a hundred percent eight cups of water every single day. Every one of our cells would appreciate getting water. We mm-hmm. will feel better when we drink eight cups of water yeah. every day. If you're drinking coffee and tea, it doesn't really count as water or milk or fruits. Uh, it can, but I would prefer not to count that as water because your body has to break those foods down. Right. And so just simply trying to incorporate more water is the ticket. Yeah. I like
1: that. And it's helpful for digestion too, right?
0: Digestion, everything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, everything. Um, When we're dehydrated by like even 1%, which is about two cups of water, we feel headachey and achy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're all walking around slightly dehydrated. We need to feel better. It helps with the inflammation and yeah. you know, all the things. So yes.
1: Yeah. And skin health. Yeah. All the things.
0: All the things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the last rule is six hours, seven hours of sleep. And the average American gets about six and a half hours. And when we have problems falling asleep, staying asleep, or waking up unrested, um, we can work on that by, you know, different types of exercise, different like sleep hygiene activities. Um, It's very important to at least get seven hours of sleep, but really we need between seven and nine And when we're sleeping, we're actually having um, the hormone melatonin release in our body. And it actually cleans our cells. It's how we detox, actually. So it lowers inflammation. So if you're not sleeping, you have higher levels of inflammation. And when we have high levels of inflammation, we have low levels of motivation. Mm -hmm. So really important to get sleep. And when you're not sleeping, it actually causes your body internally to be stressed. And that stress causes your body to hold on to weight.
1: Mm, That is so good. And you're so right. Because when I don't get enough sleep, I find the next day my decision making capabilities are just completely tanked. I don't reach for I know we're not calling them healthy foods, but I don't reach for the foods that serve my body in the right way. um, When I'm sleep deprived, and I know it affects the prefrontal cortex part of your brain, which is responsible for decision making. So yeah. And getting enough sleep, that's kind of like I see that as low-hanging fruit when it comes to just following a healthier lifestyle. It's just you're just going to benefit overall in your life if you yeah. just get more sleep. So me it's personally, true. I get about seven and a half hours a night. And that's kind of my sweet spot. Seven and a half hours. If I get nine, sometimes I feel a little bit too tired in the morning, but seven and a half is my sweet spot.
0: Yeah. So um it's you're making a really good point. So when you tip over. So when people snooze and they fall into another sleep cycle or when they're getting too much sleep and when they're getting too little, you're actually changing your sleep cycles and this is jet lag. Mm -hmm. And so it takes you three days to recover from one hour of jet lag. So some people at that point will then maybe drink too much coffee or maybe they're going to change the way they're eating because they're tired. They can't make good decisions. Don't do anything. Mm -hmm. Just Allow your body to be tired. This is how you feel, except I'm tired today. I'm not doing anything about it.
1: Right, right. Yeah. I love in your book, you say count sleep instead of calories.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's true. So yeah. important.
1: <laughs> so yeah. speaking of your book... Kim, you also say in your book, you know, um, as it pertains to diets, it's not a plan given to us by others. It's a personal lifestyle that we create for ourselves. So to create the right diet for our bodies, we must learn to trust ourselves again. And this is huge. And I know that we just discussed the six main rules for dieting and for, sorry, for eating. um, But how do we begin to trust ourselves again?
0: You know, I think it's Esther Perel said it. A person can have up to eight relationships in their life. And sometimes they have eight relationships with one person. And I think understanding that you are in a new relationship with yourself and you get to figure out how you want this to go and what commitments you want to have. And you have to make those six simple rules non negotiables in your life. You have to, like, I think it comes down to, uh, let me put it this way. I remember when I was doing a radio show and I was so nervous. It was my first one. And I thought, I can't do this. I don't know if I can do this. And then I remember thinking, this is what I wanted. I can do this. I'm ready for this. And it was such an important moment for me to recognize this is what I wanted. And so I was able to just like confidently go on and it was easy. It was fine because I had was ready for it. Right. But Trusting yourself, just saying to yourself, I have a destination. I know where I want to go. I'm willing to bet on myself, to commit to myself. It's like removing people-pleasing, if that's possible, and maybe cutting ties with people-pleasing and focusing on putting on your life preserver first and saying, It might not be easy because again, I cannot predict the storms, but I'm going to learn how to put pause between the thought and the action to eat. And I'm going to become a deep breather. I'm going to breathe and I'm going to trust that I know I have everything inside of me that will help me survive this moment. It's going to come down to knowing and practicing where your mind is, making sure that it's here. And the second you start thinking about dinner next Thursday or worrying about a conversation you had yesterday means your mind is not here. And it's just like working that muscle over and over to bring your mind into this moment in this new relationship, your third relationship with yourself or your fourth relationship with yourself in full commitment. And so we talked briefly about willpower and inner power and one example, like I love to use is if I'm a vegetarian and I'm going into a steak restaurant and the waiter says to me, what can I get you? And I say, what are the vegetarian options? And everybody could laugh at me. The waiter would say, but this is a steak restaurant. It's, it's how I'm going to posture myself in that moment, right? With confidence, knowing exactly who I am and saying, I know, but I don't eat steak. What are the vegetarian options, right? Right. I need to believe in myself so nothing else can get in my way.
1: Mm. I love that. That that is so good, Kim. And I think when it comes to confidence, confidence comes when we keep our commitments to ourselves. And I think every time we break a commitment with ourselves, I think that erodes our self-confidence slowly over time. And I know Ed Mylett, who I'm a huge fan of his, he talks about this as well. You know, an example of that could be, you could say, hey, I'm going to work out tomorrow morning. And then tomorrow morning comes and goes and you don't work out. It's like, okay, and then you you kind of lose confidence in yourself. So maybe you start thinking about like, how can I make it easier for me to work out the next day? Maybe I could just put my gym shoes like by the door if I'm gonna go out for a walk, put my gym clothes, you know, sitting right, right by the door. So I don't even have to think about what am I gonna wear in the morning? I just wake up, the clothes are there and I put them on. But I think it's so important for us to keep those those commitments that we make to ourselves because that really does help to bolster our self-confidence for sure.
0: Yeah, it's um I, I love all those ideas. Again, these have to be non-negotiables yeah. in order for you to change. It's like, and and it doesn't have to be intense or hard. What I, what I know to be true is that if you follow my six rules and you want to lose weight, if you follow them at 90%, you're going to lose between one and four pounds in a week. If you follow the rules at 80%, you're going to lose between one to two pounds in that week. If you follow the rules at 70%, you're not going to lose any weight. If you follow the rules at 60%, you're going to be gaining weight, but that 70% where you're not losing weight, you are maintaining. And that's also a win. But the point is, is that you can be accountable to yourself by saying, what am I doing? What percentage of the time am I doing these rules or what percentage of the time am I committing to myself here? Right. And then building a schedule around your commitment has to, you have to.
1: Yeah. I like that. Yeah. My commitment to myself is a minimum of three times a week that I work out and I do okay. whatever I can to hold onto that three times a week. If I work yeah. out four or five times, great. Amazing. But my minimum to myself is three times a week. And sometimes it doesn't actually mean like doing like an actual workout on my house. Sometimes if I don't have the time for that, it's like, maybe I'll just go for like a walk instead. Yeah. And I'll just take a phone call while I'm just like going on a walk. So yeah. I try to find ways to hold myself to that commitment because I know if I don't, I don't feel the greatest about myself. Cause I'm like, geez, Trudy, you didn't really move your body. Like you said that you were going to, you committed this to yourself and to your health, yeah. but you're not doing it. So, yeah. yeah. So I love that you said that.
0: Yeah. That's what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. So
1: Kim, I have a question that I asked all of my guests and that is what is your favorite way to take care of your mind and your body?
0: Mm, I think they're very similar to me. Um, I walk almost every single morning and on my walk, I meditate. So I do a walking meditation. And like I said, it's a non negotiable. And sometimes I don't want to do it at all. And I'm, you know, throw a full temper tantrum inside myself. <laughs> I want to return phone calls or I want to listen to a podcast. I want to do anything else besides meditate. But since it's a non negotiable, I do it anyway. And I always find no matter what, I feel better after, and I always am so glad I did it. And so I think the meditating is probably the most powerful thing that anybody can do for themselves. It, it retrains your mind. It helps you get your mind back to this moment. It gives you the power to, in any sort of moment, be able to know that your mind, you can bring your mind back here. And again, it's not always the same type of meditation and it's not always something i want to do and sometimes i can really only do 11 minutes and sometimes i like it so much i'd repeat and an, do another one but i think staying committed to meditation is has been the key for my mind for sure and um walking is definitely i i don't know how i would feel without 10,000 steps every day i love it <laughs>
1: I love that. And I love that you do it first thing in the morning, because I often say that if you are going to work out or get some sort of activity and try to do it in the morning, if you can, because when you think about the rest of the day, the day just constantly takes away from you. And in the morning, really, that is the best time to give to yourself. So mm-hmm. I just say, just do it in the morning and just kind of just get out of the way. And you're not going to feel bad after working out or no. after moving your body. You're always going to be like, geez, I'm so glad that I did that.
0: Yeah. And anybody who's struggling with sleep problems, working out first thing in the morning actually tells your body, this is the time we wake up. Mm. Really good. If you start working out in the afternoon or evening, it could actually cause you not to be able to fall asleep. Mm.
1: Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So highly
0: recommend the morning. Yeah.
1: Good to know. Good thing I work out in the morning. So Kim, this was just such a fascinating conversation. I really could talk to you all day. Um, You're just a wealth of knowledge and information and expertise. And with that, like, where can people find you? If they want to learn more about you, if they want to follow what you're up to, where can they find you?
0: I am everywhere on every social platform at Kim Shapira Method. So Pinterest, TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, everywhere, Kim Shapira Method. And I see clients privately and I have groups. I also have a webinar class available and of course my book. So I'm happy to, you know, to talk to anybody. So please reach out and let me know how you're doing. And I'm so, I'm so happy we had this conversation. It was so fun me too me
1: too so please guys make sure you pick up the book i will put all of kim's links in the show notes for you guys but make sure to grab the book this is what you're really hungry for again a phenomenal book but don't just stop at getting one for yourself don't be selfish get one for a friend that's also trying to you know follow a healthy lifestyle as well um because it really is great and once you guys read the book you'll see exactly why i'm just going on and on about it because it really is amazing 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 piece of work So Kim, thank you so much for stopping by the Mind Your Body show today. Um, This was, again, such an enlightening conversation. I think there's a lot of gold nuggets here that is just going to help people to just have a healthier lifestyle. Those people who have tried to lose weight before that have failed, I think we've shared a lot of great tips here today on how they can just get back on their horse and try again. Like, just believe in yourself. You can do it. You can try again. It's important to you. You can do it. In Kim's book, she talks about your why and really having a clear and strong why and how to do that. I think there's exercises at the end of each chapter that they can put into action as well. So again, make sure to follow Kim. (laughs) Uh, But Kim, thanks so much again for stopping by. It was such a pleasure having you.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Mind Your Body Show. I hope that you learned something new to help you transform your life and your body. For more after the show, make sure to head over to TrudyEStone.com. That's where you'll find all of the show notes. Also, make sure to head over to iTunes to subscribe and leave us a rating to let us know what you thought about the episode. And remember, get your mind right and your body will follow. Thanks for tuning in.